first let's read Luke verse 1, Luke 1 verse 8 to 17 to refresh you as to where we're at in the book. This is Luke 1, 8 to 17. It says, Now while he, that's Zechariah, was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Last week, um, in a little college in Asbury, most of you all heard about this now, um, there's a mandatory chapel meeting for a Methodist university. So every student has to attend, I think, three of these chapels a year, uh, normally fairly boring affairs that nobody goes to. Uh, but a group of students were there and they prayed together. And at the end, they were told if they wanted to continue praying, they're welcome to stay. And so they did. And then the amazing thing that happened was that the rest of the campus joined them. And within about three hours, they had gone from three or four to three or four hundred and within another 12 hours, it was several thousand. And it's now been going for the last, whatever, 300 hours or whatever it is since that began. They've had a non-stop time of prayer and worship. People are calling it revival or an outpouring. And I don't know what it is exactly because these sorts of things need time to, 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 to sort of test. But what I do know is that why was it that students would have left a prayer meeting but didn't? What caused that? And what caused the other students to come and join them in prayer and worship? Because you know how hard it is to get people to come to pray and worship who aren't students, let alone uni kids, let alone today where people don't exactly love the Lord that much. And you know how hard it is to get people to stay in church for an hour and a half, let alone stay in a prayer meeting for now nearly two weeks. You know how hard that is. You know that you can't do that. It is exceptionally difficult to pull that off. All the marketing in the world. I mean, I think of some, like, you know, you might think of some of the events that we've planned, not us, but have been planned in, in Australia where they've said, we're going to have this amazing event and God's going to move and it's going to be powerful and it's going to be full. And it sort of, they put so much money and effort and energy into it and it's kind of fizzled a little bit. It's been okay, but it hasn't been this massive thing. And meanwhile, this little boring prayer meeting kicks off for some unknown reason, it's packed, it's full, and it keeps going for two weeks. The thing is, that is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's God drawing people to Himself. He does the thing we can't do. He draws young people in an evil day into worship. I don't know where that thing goes. I don't really want to comment on it because I don't know enough about it. Maybe it gets mishandled. Maybe it turns into a loony bin. It doesn't really matter how it began was very clearly the work of the Holy Spirit. You guys know the story of John the Baptist. We're talking about him now, and most of you are familiar with what happens to him, but he grows up and he goes and lives in the desert. And there in the desert, he begins to preach. Okay, good to know. But what happens next is what's interesting. 
Because it says that all of Israel goes to hear him. Now, why is it that all people go to hear him? There's lots of great preachers in the world. What draws people on that particular occasion to a guy out in the desert? But not just that, they don't just go to hear him. It says that they hear his preaching and they're convicted of sin and they repent of their sin and they get baptised. Certain soldiers say to John, they say, what must we do? And he says, stop taking extra money. And by all accounts, they did. They stopped taking extra money. And what is that? Is it that John happened to be just the most eloquent of preachers? I mean, the guy was dressed in camel skin or was camel hair and ate locusts. Um, I don't know how attractive that sounds to me. I'm not sure what his Instagram account would be like these days. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit sovereignly draws people to hear a preacher. And not just that, but he fills the preacher with power and he does something that nobody can do. He changes people's hearts. Another example, the day of Pentecost. Again, from the Bible, you know the story. The disciples are in an upper room. The Spirit of God falls on them. People gather. They say, we've heard noise, we're going to gather. And I want to just pay attention to that because I just... You think again about all of the energy and effort we put in today to try and get people together and how ineffective it is. You advertise, you do all this stuff and you get a little tiny crowd of people who sit there bored. Something happens in that upper room and 3,000 at least people are around the building when, when Peter decides to preach. And Peter is a fisherman. And this is not a literate age. Today we are so used to everybody being able to read that we're also used to everybody being able to talk. Because when you can read, you can talk. You have vocabulary. Whereas these guys didn't. These guys were fishermen. I don't know what the equivalent would be, but maybe it's the guy who works out in the mine somewhere who you know, has the vocabulary of a comic book. That's Peter. This is not somebody who previously was a great preacher. And this guy gets up, and as he preaches, it says that they're cut to the heart, and they say, what do we have to do to be saved? And 3,000 people were saved that day. That's one of the best evangelical works we've ever seen. One guy gets up and preaches and most of the crowd gets saved. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit drawing people to himself and changing hearts. The angel says to Zechariah about John, he says that he will be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him, that's Jesus, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. We often say this, prepare the way of the Lord. That's John's purpose. John is going to prepare the way of Jesus. He's going to go before him to let people know Jesus is coming. And this kind of made sense in the ancient imagination because if a king, see they didn't have well, we'd still do this, by the way. If, if the prime minister's coming, he's gonna come visit. We're gonna let you know he's coming so that you've got your right good clothes on and you're making sure that you smell good. And you know, if somebody's a problem or someone hates the prime minister, we might put that person off into a different room. We're gonna prepare the way for this great person to come. So John goes to do the same thing. He's gonna prepare the people of Israel for Jesus. Jesus can't just turn up. There has to be preparation done. But the question that I've got is, why is it John had to do it? Because there was already existing religious structure. I mean, we already have a, a very effective religious organisation 
at the time that John comes. One of the reasons why the fullness of time, it says at the right time Jesus came, one of the reasons it was the right time was because at that moment in world history, the Jewish synagogue system was so effective and so everywhere that once the gospel came in, it had this really easy and effective avenue to go out all across the world and spread the gospel. Now, like literally 50 years earlier, not such a good time. And like 100 years later, very bad time. But right at that moment, it was ideal because there was such a good religious system. So why is it that that religious system wasn't good enough to prepare the way for Jesus? How come their preaching wasn't enough? Those guys had the scripture. And we know their preaching was good because Jesus said, do what they say. They had organisation. As I said, the organisation was good. They had traditions. They had buildings. And yet they couldn't make the people ready. And they couldn't turn the hearts of the children of Israel to the Lord. And the reason is they were not filled with the Spirit. They didn't have the power. They had everything but the power of God. And the thing is, without the power, we can't do the thing that has to be done, which is change hearts. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, you cannot change the hearts of anybody, including yourself. Jesus says to, or maybe it's actually John the Baptist says to the Pharisees, he says, you clean the outside of the dish. Well, John says, whitewash tombs. Jesus says, you clean the outside of the dish, but the inside is filthy. The inside you can't clean. All we get to is the outside. The law of Moses couldn't do it. That was a perfect law. It's a wonderful law. Very, very effective, but it couldn't change hearts. God said he would though. This is one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible and one that I prayed and asked the Lord to do and to do again since I was a kid. But Ezekiel 12 verse 19 says, I will give them one heart and I'll put a new spirit within them. I'm gonna take out the heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh so that they might walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And they will be my people and I'll be their God. God says to the people of Israel, you've got the law, and yet your heart is still hard, and you can't change it. But I can change it, and I want to change it. And the change is the work of the Holy Spirit. Christians desperately need the Holy Spirit. Our own hearts need preparation. Our hearts are hard and wicked, deceitful above all things. I don't care how long you've been in church, I guarantee you, your heart is still trickier than you thought it was. Our society, I mean, how many of us have wonderful, nice conversations with our neighbours? We talk to them and, hey, what's interesting about you? Oh, I go to church on Sundays. Ah, oh, they don't care. They're not interested. doesn't matter. You can't change that. Listen, you could be Billy Graham and preach the most effective message that ever preached. And I guarantee you that unless the Holy Spirit gets involved, that person is going to turn around, go back in and watch the TV. In your own strength, you can't do anything. The Spirit of God does stuff to people's hearts that causes them to respond to God. And this is why the Spirit of God is so important. It's why I pray all the time, Lord, pour out your spirit upon us because what I'm asking God to do is to change my heart and yours. If, if the spirit of God doesn't work, then I have a pretty depressing job. My job is to get up, talk for a bit and do nothing. And maybe people come because they like listening to my voice. Uh, it seems unlikely and that seems kind of depressing if that's all that's happening, right? But if the spirit of God works, 
then people can be changed. If the Spirit of God works, then you can be changed. I can be changed. And the Spirit of God can work and He can change. I want to pay attention to something that happens later on in Luke 1, and we might do it again when we get there. But it says of, Jesus, of John that He's going to be filled with the Spirit from the womb. And if you look in John, in Luke 1, verse 39 to 45, so not very far later, it says, In those days Mary, at this point Mary's pregnant, pregnant with Jesus, and she goes with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there will be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So Luke 1, you can probably put it up there, uh, Sophie. If you put up 41 right through to 42, 41, 42 is good. I want you to pay attention. Look at this. It says that John is full of the Holy Spirit. So 41, 42. It says, John is full of the Holy Spirit. But then it says of Elizabeth, that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So we know that John was full of the Holy Spirit from the womb. But in this moment, Elizabeth walks in the door and she's filled with the Holy Spirit. And then what happens? They hear Mary's voice and John, the little baby, leaps in the womb and Elizabeth rejoices. They heard the voice of someone carrying Christ. Not to allegorize it too much, but Mary is carrying Jesus. Her voice is not Jesus' voice. She's not Jesus, but she speaks. And when she speaks, the Spirit of God in John and the Spirit of God that falls upon Elizabeth causes them to react with joy. You and I, if you're Christians, carry Jesus. We are the people who now carry Christ. And therefore, when we go, if the Spirit of God goes with us and moves someone's heart, you can expect them to have a reaction. I want to make a little note, because I am going to talk about the Holy Spirit more. We're going to move in the things of the Spirit. I want to make a note on emotionalism. Because I know a lot of people object to teaching on the Holy Spirit because it sounds like too much emotionalism. There's too many people shouting and clapping and crying. I just want to say this. I cried at Sarah's pregnancy when my baby was born. I also cried at our wedding. And when I was driving home from the hospital with baby Nathaniel, I had like a tingling feeling of excitement that he existed. Don't be such a Debbie Downer in life that when the Spirit of God moves on your heart, you're not allowed to have some emotion in response. I mean... If you're that kind of person, I have to say, I feel very sorry for your husband or wife if you are not allowed to have any emotion when you're moved with love or with joy or with anything towards anybody. It's okay to cry on your wedding day. It's really okay to cry when your baby's born. It's super okay to cry at a funeral. It's very okay to be happy on birthdays. And if the Spirit of God touches you and suddenly you see something in you says, You're the, this is Christ, this is who He is. If a baby can jump in the womb and Elizabeth can cry out in song, you can be emotional too. You can lift your hands, you can clap, you can dance, you can do a little jig, you can do whatever you want to do. Now you might not do any of those things and that, that's okay too. Although it is a problem if you have no emotion. 
I will say that if you have no emotion, there might be something that needs to get worked through because in the same way, if you never had any emotion towards your husband or your wife or your child or a birthday or your football team winning, if you're somebody who walks through life just like this the whole time, maybe you need to ask the Lord to start healing some stuff because there's probably something a little bit hurt or damaged or broken. Maybe it's an emotional thing. Maybe it's a mental thing. It's fine. You're still loved by God, but you know, it's good to have emotion as a person. We're emotional beings. It's wonderful to cry and to leap and to laugh and to rejoice at the right times. So if you never have that in Christ ever, either you're not encountering Christ or something needs, maybe we just want to pray for something to get healed a little bit so that you do encounter Christ and have joy. And that doesn't mean you're ever going to lift your hands because maybe that's not how you express joy. Maybe it's just something I don't know about. But what I do know is that it's okay to be emotional. That that was a silly, silly, silly myth that spread through the church. And it really didn't come from Christianity. It came from scientific rationality that said nobody's allowed to be emotional. Everyone has to stand stock still. And if God touches us, we better not do anything except for kneel gently down very quietly, very reverently. It's a silliness. comes from nowhere in the Bible. You read the Bible. David, who is the one that God loves the most, is an emotional wreck. He's taken his clothes off and dancing down the street. He's crying, he's weeping, he's rolling on the floor. David is somebody who responds like a real person to a real God. So when the Holy Spirit moves on you, it's okay to have some emotion. Now, I'll let you know, most of the time when God moves on me, I cry. That's just what I eat. I do. <laughs> and sometimes I cry and I don't know why I'm crying. I just know that I love God and something in your heart's moved and you just feel that emotion. And you know what? It's okay. Like I said, it's also okay if you don't cry, but I just want to dismiss any sense that says, hey, the emotionalism's a bit weird. Yeah, we're all a bit weird. Let's get over it. Um, I want to be full of the Holy Spirit. John was full of the Holy Spirit and he thought it was okay to jump in the womb. I think it's okay for you and I to do whatever you impresses on your heart. Uh, that was a... Oh, actually, I got one more thing because maybe I can make it a bit more serious on the emotional point. In Luke chapter 7, and we'll get to this later, as a woman, she actually comes to Jesus and sobs over his feet and anoints his feet with ointment and wipes her, uses her hair. Now, guys, is that a little excessive? Would you be comfortable if that happened in church? Uh, the answer is you would be uncomfortable because it feels excessive. Jesus rebukes the people who criticised it very harshly if you listen to the tone of his voice. He's not impressed because in the end, her heart's moved. And Jesus, like I realise this again, you look at people and you realise that people in God's eyes are just little kids. That's what he sees. Now, little kids can be wicked and rebellious and evil, but he sees little kids. And so when a little kid sees dad and they're happy, that's a good thing. He's pleased with that. It's fine. If a little kid sees dad and they're sad because they've done the wrong thing, it's also fine. I have gotten off track. I'm trying to keep this one short and sweet. The Spirit of God does something that I can't do, which is move on your heart. And when it moves on your heart, when He moves on your hearts, it may cause emotion. It might cause transformation. It might cause conviction of sin. It might cause you to suddenly realise that all this time you have been walking in the wrong way. Praise God for that. That is God reaching out. God, the Spirit of God gets to where it hurts inside here. And the Spirit of God makes the way for Christ. See, the Spirit of God's primary mission on earth is to point us towards the Lord Jesus. That's what He does. And so when we are moved on by the Holy Spirit, whether it's someone preaching with power or whether it's you or I having a personal encounter, the effect of it is to cause us to be drawn towards Jesus more. 
In the same way that all those crowds were drawn out into the desert, but John said, listen, someone greater than me is coming. I'm here to prepare you, to bring you together so that he can come and bring you to himself. So I will will keep it short, so I will bring it to a close. But two needs. The first need for the Holy Spirit is inward. You and I each need the Spirit of God to prepare the way for Jesus in our own hearts. And this is a constant work. This is not something that happens one time and then bam, you're done. God constantly is making the mountains flat and lifting the valleys up and preparing it so that Jesus moves freely into the areas of our heart that were closed off before. I've said to most people who I've ever, say, brought to Christ or been discipling, I've said that when you become a Christian, what kind of you sort of happens is that God inherits a dirty, messed up, broken house and all the lights are off. And the Spirit of God walks in and turns on the light in the living room. And immediately we go, oh, it's so dirty. And then he goes, let's clean it. And then we think, look at me, I'm so clean. And then he goes into another room and opens that door. And then he goes, aha, (laughs) have you seen this mess? (laughs) And it turns out that the heart's got a lot of rooms in it. And so the Spirit of God is going to keep on working for you. And so you might feel like you've been praying and seeking God all your life and every time you still get conviction for something, that's good. That's God going into another room because He wants to make the whole thing clean. He doesn't just want to have one room clean and then you have the secret back room that's got skeletons in it. He wants to clean the whole house. He wants to clean the whole inside of the dish, not just the outside. And so that means that we all need the Spirit of God to come to convict us of sin, to bring us to joy in Christ, to soften our hearts. There's that great Keith Green song where he says, my eyes are dry, my faith is cold, my heart's hard, my prayers are old or whatever it is. And he says, soften me up, soften me up, move me. Spirit of God, come move you. So when you're praying, Lord, send revival, what you're praying is, Lord, come and move in me because I'm dry, I'm cold, I'm hard. You need the Spirit. We need the Spirit in a second way, and that's outward. You need the Spirit to empower us to do the work. John the Baptist couldn't prepare the way without the Spirit. Jesus was filled with the Spirit before his ministry. The apostles were filled and refilled before their ministry. And unless you are doing work in the Spirit's power, you are not doing God's work. You're just doing man's work. Who was it who said, the Chinese Christian who said, what a lot of things you do in America without the Spirit of God. And that would be true in Australia, it would be true in our own lives. I feel that sometimes. I feel that sense that says the way to follow the Lord is to do the thing that's impossible. And you think, well, I can't do that. What if I did the thing that was possible? What if I just did the stuff I could do? But God says, I want you to do the things you can't do. Like, for example, if you meet somebody who's lost and you think I should share the gospel with them, you can't save them. Now, you could get them to be a member of a church with the right material and if you adjusted the church the right way so that it suited their needs perfectly and happened on the time they wanted it to be on and maybe gave them a free TV to get them through the door, you could get them to be the member of a church, but you can't change their heart. But Jesus says, hey, go preach the gospel. So every time you do that, you need the Spirit of God to work. If you're going to go pray for the sick, I don't know what you think happens, but I can't heal the sick. I can't do anything. I can ask the Lord to do something or I can pray or in faith, I can speak. But in the end, if the Spirit of God doesn't work, I don't do anything. So you need the Holy Spirit. Spiritual work requires spiritual power. Two other dimensions that we need the Spirit. 
The first is we need the Spirit to work in our church corporately. Listen, there is such a thing as the manifest presence of God. The Spirit of God is in all believers, that's fair. But the truth is that there are many times when God will move on a congregation. And there'll be a sense of the Spirit of God. He'll work in that time, in that season, in that place. That's completely historical, completely biblical. Without the Holy Spirit at work, church is just external. It might have moving music. It might have dynamic preaching. It might have beautiful buildings. It might have good attendance. It might have very serious study of the Word and careful doctrine and everything's teed and dotted and it's all perfect. But without the Spirit, it's dead. And the thing is, apart from the Spirit, it's not just dead, but it will produce death. This is one of the realities of the kingdom of God is that it isn't just that things apart from the Spirit don't work. It's that they actually work in opposition to God. Paul himself writes in Romans, if you do not walk according to the Spirit, you're walking according to the flesh. And those who walk according to the flesh are not of God. They are in opposition to God. And so we actually must have the Holy Spirit at work. That's why we have a prayer meeting before our Sunday mornings, just for the practical point, is to say, Lord, would you come? Because we can't do very much on our own. Not just that, but we need the Spirit to work in our city. We need the Spirit to work in our city. We live in a wicked day. We live amongst a hard-hearted generation. We live in a time where the faith has grown cold in many people. Church attendance and membership is as low in Australia as it's ever been, really, declining. It's hard days. But guess what? That was what it was like in John's day, too. When John the Baptist came, things weren't much better as far as the world. It was a pretty wicked, wicked time, evil world. And John came in the power of the Spirit, And the Lord moved and he drew many people to himself. And you look through the history of revivals. You look at what's happened over and over again through the history of the church. And that is the Spirit of God has moved, usually on a person or a group of people or on a place. And suddenly, students who would have otherwise gone home and played Xbox, stay to pray. Stay to keep, keep seeking the Lord. Suddenly, people want to go out to hear the person preach. Or whatever other form it takes, whether it's in the homes or whether it's in churches or it's in the paddocks, when the Spirit of God moves, things happen. The Spirit of God is still the breath of God breathing over the water. In that book of Genesis, what you see is you see chaos, darkness, waters, and this imagery, in the, particularly in the Hebrew mind of water, was always a tumultuous water, billowing waves. It says the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. And then God said, let there be light. So the Spirit of God hovers ready and at the right time, He speaks and things change. He's done it for you and me. When you got born again, that's what happened. However you were, you're sitting there in some seat or Sunday school, wherever it was, and suddenly the Spirit of God spoke and your heart changed in a way that it never had before. And the same happens in churches. The same happens in cities. All that to say... I want to give to you two opportunities. The first is, we have a prayer meeting on Wednesday and we are going to ask the Spirit of God to come. We are going to seek the Lord. And I want to be one of those people who kept on asking. Jesus has all these scriptures where he says, if you ask and keep on asking, I just want one of those guys. I don't mind if I get, I mean, I mind, but at worst case scenario, I get to heaven and I get to walk up to Jesus and say, turns out you lied. I kept asking, you didn't come. Right? Do you think that's what's going to happen? 
Hasn't happened with anything else I've ever set my heart to pray for. Every other thing that's in accordance with God's word that I have set my heart for, God has answered. Because he says he would. And some things, it takes a long time, but he said he'll pour out his spirit. He said he'll give the Holy Spirit. And I'm not saying that means that it's gonna look anything like. I don't know what it looks like when God moves. For John the Baptist, it meant a fellow in camel skin and eating insects. Like, if that happened today, I'd probably think he was a lunatic. So <laughs> I'd probably miss out on what God was doing. <laughs> but the point is, I want God to move. We want God to move. The picture in my mind, as I said before, is that picture of striking the rock. In fact, I was praying here. I fasted and prayed for a few days, came and sat here. And the real sense I had was that you want living water to flow in this place. The living water is the Holy Spirit. And it's a picture and it never captures the reality, but it's like you want a stream. The way I picture it is like a stream bubbling up and filling the place so that people's hearts got changed. I don't want, I, I know lots of stuff. I can tell you interesting facts until you're dead, until I'm dead, because I love interesting facts and I keep finding new ones. Like, did you know where the word chapel comes from? I found this out this week and this is my favourite fact. Everyone knows the word chapel. What you didn't know is the word chapel comes from the guy called Martin of Tours, I'm pretty sure that's correct, who cut his cloak in half and clothed the beggar with it. And from then on, they built some buildings in his honour and they said, we've got the piece of the cloak. And the word cloak in Latin was, is cape or capo and it sounds like chapel. And so it became chapel, where the cloak is. Now, that was an interesting fact. How many of you have changed your hearts and repented of your sin? And feel empowered to go and serve the Lord more. Now that I've given you that interesting fact. Zero. Not, not a single one of you. So we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Spirit of God to work. And if He works, you'll get more than interesting facts. You'll get change of heart. Prayer meeting. The second is, and I'm stepping out a little bit in this one. I actually want to offer a chance to get prayed for today. Especially if you've never been full of the Holy Spirit. If you've never, ever, and I want to just be completely honest with you, I'm not promising some sort of wild and woolly time. In fact, I'm just asking the Lord to move. But if you'd like, and if you want, if you've been filled, you can come and get prayed. It's okay. I just want to take a moment. I felt convicted that I should do this five weeks ago. Uh, I didn't tell Sarah, and then Sarah had a dream where I did it. And so, well, I guess I have to do it. <laughs> um, so I want to offer that. In Acts chapter 8, verse 14, it says, the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God and they sent Peter and John. And they came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit for he had not yet fallen on any of them. But they had been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And so if you've been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, but you've never received the Holy Spirit, I just wanna offer. And all I'm gonna do is ask the Lord to fill you with this Holy Spirit. And that's it. Because it's up to God to work. I'm not gonna try and drum up something. And I'd appreciate it if you didn't either. But I do want to pray. And if you have, have never been, then come. And if you have been and you want more, I'll just ask, what else can we do? We can ask the Lord to work and to move. Thanks, Cassie. you can come. Because all in the end, what we want is God. I don't know where you're at. I've been doing this for six years now. I've been in church since I was a kid. I've always loved the Lord. I've always loved church. But I have to say, there are many times where I'm dry, and it's, I feel empty and I don't care that much about reading the Bible or serving the Lord. I feel a bit dull of heart. And in those times, I just come and say, Lord, would you please come and come revive me, right? Lord, send revival, awaken me. 
and fill me with the Holy Spirit. And so that's all I'm trying to give opportunity for you to do today. I'm gonna pray for you. And if you don't want that, then that's totally okay. You can also come on Wednesday evening and uh, we can pray together. God is gonna move because He is faithful and He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And He's moved in my life. Truth is, every time I've been cold, even like November last year or something, I think, you know, you, you get to a point and you think, I don't know if I love God anymore. And I came in here and I was intending to pray. What I was gonna do is I was gonna pray about some issues. Issues I was concerned about. I came here and I knelt down there thinking to pray about those. Something happened, which has happened to me a few times in life. And that is that instead of that, I just couldn't stop sobbing. And I'm thankful that no one was here and that no one saw it. It was very messy and embarrassing. But in the end, in my heart, all I felt was that sense of, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord. And I want more of you. And I want to know you. And I want to become like you. That's what I want. And these other issues are big issues. I don't know how to fix them, but I want you. And I have to say, that is the Holy Spirit. He draws people to, to Christ. He draws people to Himself. Anyway, I'm going to pray for all of you. And then without much hullabaloo or anything, if you would like prayer, come forward and I'll just pray a short prayer for you. And then the rest of you can go have morning tea, fellowship with each other, be here on Wednesday evening and um, pray. Let's seek God. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You gave us Your Son. Lord Jesus, You said that You wouldn't leave us alone, but You would send to us a helper, someone to come and help us, the paraclete, the Spirit. Lord, we ask that Your Spirit would be here today. Lord, we ask that You would draw people to Yourself. Holy Spirit, we ask that You would come. You would come and move in our midst. Lord, we do ask that You'd send revival and move of Your Spirit. Lord, Spirit, break out in our midst. Lord, anyone today who's hard-hearted, who's cold, whose religion has always been the outside of the dish, which is very clean, but the inside, if they admit it, is very dirty. I ask that today they would find genuine renewal on the inside. Lord, anybody today who's cold, who's loved you in the past, but it's sort of drifted into the distance. Lord, they're not John anymore leaping in the womb. They're not Elizabeth rejoicing at the voice of the one who carries Christ. We ask that today they would be filled again with the Holy Spirit. Lord, for those who are full of the Holy Spirit and they love you and they're so pleased to be with you, we ask that you begin to flow out of them living water that would refresh others. Lord Jesus, we wouldn't just have the Spirit for ourselves, but we would have your Spirit to give to others, to breathe on others, to bring others to Christ. So Lord, we thank you. Commit ourselves to you today. Commit this church to you today. In Jesus' name, amen.